are not in Georgia, looking at this live stream, uh, this is not Ringston University. But if you guys, I don't know, there's a TV show or something being shot some other day, but um, welcome to, to church and not class. Um, it is a 10 out of 10 day. Let me know uh, if you get that once you write your dates in your journals today. Um, but it's good to see you all. Uh, we're going to stand and worship our God, and, uh, and let's get going for it. That was the wrong, wrong reason. Here we go. For this day, we've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory, like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here, you're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens, we want to see you. Open up the floodgates, a mighty river flowing from your heart, filling every part of our praise. Your presence, your presence in this place, your glory on our face. standing with us now, Lord, unveil our eyes. You're the reason we're here. Sing it out. Lord, you're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens. We want to see you. Open up the floodgates. A mighty river. Show us, show us your glory, Lord. 
excellent week, but no matter what week you had, we are just so glad that you are joining us here this morning at Church in the Valley or at uh, Brinkston University, as the case may be. Um, so as, as Victor said, they're filming here tomorrow, which is why this set is up this morning. Um, but we are just so glad that you are joining us, whether that's here in person or online. My name is Jonathan Ricker. I help out with our Sunday service teams here at Church in the Valley. Um, and if you're a guest with us this morning, we just really want to say thank you for joining us. We actually have a gift for you. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough, and you can go ahead and just pick that book up over here at the resource table. Now, over there, you'll also find our program, and inside that is a connection card. Um, we have some hard copies of song lyrics if you don't want to look at our TVs here. Um, and you can also find that same stuff at civ.com slash Alhambra, or sorry, slash Sunday, not Alhambra. CIV.com. Thank you. CIVLHammer.com slash Sunday. Thank you, Victor. Um, so please go find what you need there. Actually, if everyone could go ahead and just pull out their connection card right now, we'd actually really appreciate it if everyone could fill that out. Now, if you're a member or regular tender, just please put any information um, that's changed, put your name, your email. On the back, you may want to put some prayer requests, things that you can pray for. If you're a guest with us, we just invite you to share as much information as you feel comfortable. There's one section I'd ask you to fill out, and it says how you heard about us here at Church in the Valley. And that's really just helpful for us as we're trying to continue to reach out to the community to know what's been helpful for you in finding us here. Um, and now towards the end of service, you can go ahead and just drop those connection cards and any recycling and your pens in the buckets, the, the tan buckets that are placed around the courtyard here. Now, there are a couple things coming up here at Church in the Valley. First of all, in November, we are going to be having a baptism, something so awesome that we get to celebrate. And in preparation for that, we're going to be having a baptism overview on October 17th here at the Alhambra at 11.15 a.m. And so if you're interested in getting baptized or just understanding more what that is about, we really invite you to come to that overview. We're going to have one for adults and one for kids. And you can sign up on your connection card on the back there, so please do that. And then at the end of October, October 31st, we are going to be having a harvest party. So we're going to be having food, fun, games. It's just a great opportunity for us to come together and celebrate and also to invite our friends and family to come have some fun with us and just get to know us here at Church in the Valley a little bit better. So um, again, that is Sunday, October 31st from 2 to 4 p.m. So really in, uh, encourage you to put that on your calendars to plan to come and also to invite those around you. Now, as you can imagine, it takes a lot of effort to put on an event like this. It takes a lot of setup 
tear down things going on. So if you'd be willing or interested in helping us put that uh, event on, inside your connection card in the flap, there is a QR code. And you can just scan that QR code and sign up to help out. And we'd greatly appreciate that. But again, whether you can help out or not, we really just encourage you to come and invite your friends. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. We're going to sing a few more songs, and then John's going to come up and speak to us this morning. So let me pray. God, we just thank you for your glory, for your goodness, for your kindness for us. Uh, thank you that you give us the opportunity to be here and to worship you, Lord. I pray that you would really just draw our hearts to you, that we would really be able to focus on you and hear from you, God. Um, we just uh, ask you to be in our presence this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, one more quick announcement for all of you with kids. Because of the, the filming going on, there's a lot of pieces of the set over here on the lawn. If we can keep our kids away from playing on this lawn this week and just have them play over here, that would be really helpful. Thanks, guys. Stand with us as we continue to sing.
Oh my heart 
Good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you again. Be with it, be with each other. Can I just ask? Well, I know you just sat down, but can we just stand up again for a minute? We just want to pray a little bit more before we begin. In that song we just sang, it talked about lifting your hands to the Lord, and I just like to invite you just as we we're going to just come to the Lord and we're going to talk to Him. If, you've, if you're okay with it, just lift your hands to Jesus. Stretch out your hands and we're going to pray to him. And we're going to just wait on the Lord for a minute. So just let's be in the Lord's presence.
I want to invite you now just to bring to Jesus anything that's on your heart in prayer, anxieties, pressures, worries, troubles. Just give them to the Lord right now. As Peter says, cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. Just think of something that you can thank God for just right now. Give him thanks for all everything he's given you. Just name a couple of things to the Lord you're particularly thankful for this morning. Father, we so grateful, Lord, for one another. We're grateful for this church. We're grateful for the gathered people of God. We're grateful, Lord, for your presence among us by the power of your spirit and the presence of your spirit. Pour out your spirit upon us. Bless us to be a blessing. Lord, speak to us and change our hearts and lives and minds. Give us a bigger picture of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a seat. Thank you. So, as you know, we've been on a journey through the chapters of Exodus 32 through 34. And today's the last day of this series. We finally get to finish Exodus 34, verses 29 to 35. And of course, the context of this passage is that Moses has been up the mountain again, uh, receiving from the Lord's hand the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone again. And he's actually spent 40 days again with the Lord on the mountain uh, and because he's been interceding for Israel, he's been talking to God, he's been receiving God's commands for Israel. And you, if you remember back this far, this, was a, this whole three chapters is a story of Israel's rebellion and redemption. This is a, this is a, this is a restoration story and how they, they turned away from God as soon as Moses was gone for a little while and uh, committed idolatry and God said, I'm not going to come with you. I'm still going to give you the promised land, but I'm not going to come with you. Moses pleads with God. He doesn't, he, God decides not to destroy Israel. He decides to, to come with them. And now we get to the point where Moses has received the Ten Commandments and uh, again, and he's being sent down the mountain a second time. The first time that he came down the mountain, it was a bad scene. He came down to find Israel in full-scale idolatry and indulgence and, and just totally gone off the rails. And he threw down those tablets that contained the Ten Commandments written in the hand of God and it broke them there. And there was a, a pretty fiery scene and there was a scene of judgment. Now he's, gonna, he's been up again for 40 days He's going to come down again. He has to go up the mountain a second time. Now he has to come down the mountain a second time. 
the first time, it wasn't just God who they rejected, it was Moses. They, they, had, they said, when he was delayed up there on the mountain talking to the Lord, they said, as for this man, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And then they turned to Aaron, you make us gods who will go before us. That's back in Exodus chapter 32. This is now the second time down the mountain, and he's hoping, I think, for a better reception this time around. You know, Moses really hadn't done anything wrong in this whole three chapters. He, he did the right thing and yet got a terrible reception. It didn't, things didn't work out. Have you ever had that experience? You do the right thing and bad stuff happens, right? It happens to you, you get rejected for it. I was, you know, I, I don't know if you know anything about classical music, but, uh, but uh, we've got a, one of our sons is a, a classical musician and he's, he plays some piano can, and violin and things like that. But so I've learned a bit about it along the way. And I was reading about uh, Brahms, a famous composer, Brahms, and he, he wrote one of his, uh, his pieces, his concertos, and the first time it was played, this is a, a famous composer, first time it was played, it was so poorly received, virtually no one said anything. So he decides he's gonna put it on again a few days later, he puts it on again. Even the second time that he, this, this concerto was played, uh, there, were, there were three people who started clapping. That was better than the first time. But everybody in the audience hissed at the people who clap, started clapping and that got them to stop. It was a bad reaction. Gone on to be a world-famous piece played everywhere. Same with Tchaikovsky. He has a he had his, his, his piano concerto the first time that he was played, got an absolutely terrible reception. Now, of course, it's played all around the world. So it's one of those things that sometimes what we've been bad stuff happens, it is our fault, right? And, when, uh, and we do something for the Lord. We get a vision from the Lord. We have a dream and we have a ministry, we have a purpose. We want to do something and it still doesn't work. And we have to go... Because, not because it's our fault. Some, often it is, of course. Sometimes we have to go back up the mountain again for the sake of other people and, and be sent again. Well, that's the kind of context of this passage. So let's read it, Exodus 34, 29 to 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and, be, and look, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face and whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he, he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Another flyover. We're, we're really honored this morning. 
this first part of this this text really talks about the glory of God that comes from us. If it's a glory that's veiled, it's a, it's a veiled glory. This time, you see, Moses gets a better reception, doesn't he? He comes down the mountain, but at least they're not committing idolatry when he gets down there. But they are rather afraid of him, and that's because his skin is shining. He doesn't know the skin of his face is shining. He doesn't know it. The actual word in the Hebrew text, which was original, of course, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, a, bit, a few bits of it in Aramaic, but most of it's in Hebrew. And the word that's used here for shining sometimes has been translated a couple of different ways in different places. And, and in one, some places actually got to do with horns, which is, uh, and the, Lat, the old Latin translation of the Old Testament puts here that Moses had horns uh, from, the, from the skin of his face, which is why you see, if you ever see some uh, old uh, statues of, of you know, uh, like Michelangelo's statue of Moses got little horns sticking out. It's referring to this passage. But I think it really does, from my investigation, it really doesn't mean horns. But it's a word for shining that's not just glowing. It's like rays coming out, is, would be the idea. This is pretty dynamic stuff. There's, Moses' face is just radiating light and what for you know so this is of course evidence i suppose that he's been talking with god that's what the scripture seems to indicate right did you know that when you spend time talking with god it's going to have its effect and it's going to be it's going to make you different even when you don't realize it right you spend time talking with the Lord, it's going to have its effect even when we don't realize it. Uh, when I was uh, a college student, I spent a summer and I got converted and I spent a summer, I wanted to learn about Christ. So I, there was a Christian community that ran a farm far out of my home city of Melbourne, Australia. And, and so they ran a horse farm and so I decided to go there was three families who, who ran this Christian farm. And so they said, you know, I, I got invited, come out this, work, work on the farm for the summer and they'll help me sort of grow in the Lord because I had, I'd, I'd become an atheist and, and I, I just didn't know much about Jesus. I needed help. So I spent a summer working on this fa horse farm and, uh, and the Lord was really working in me and in this community. And they would have these community meetings and people from the the farms around sometimes would come and, you know, they'd be worshipping the Lord. There was one night in this community meeting where, as, as, the, as the gathering was, was just a midweek meeting, they all went to their church on Sunday, but as they're gathering in their families that week, the presence of God was really strong and tangible in a sense. We felt it, not that the presence of God is a feeling, but we felt something. And anyway, a guy knocks on the door. He's, a bit, he's come to the meeting from a neighboring town and he, he comes along and he, he knocks on the door and says what is happening in here they said well i don't know we're, we're praising the lord uh why are you asking he said well as i was driving along and this is out in the out in the country you know, as i was driving along i saw the roof of your house was glowing 
as I was coming to the meeting. Uh, he just thought something really odd is happening here or something interesting. We, in the meeting, the people didn't realize that this was happening, had no knowledge of anything like that, but he could see it as he drove up. And, uh, and so, you know, that kind of thing doesn't happen very often, obviously. We don't, I've never actually seen anybody with a shining face, rays coming out from their face, and it, it just happened to Moses here, and we're going to see a bit later it happened to Jesus or something very similar. So I'm not suggesting we should expect to, you know, God to be sending out rays of light from your hands or your eyes or anything like that when you spend time in the presence of God. But I am saying that when you spend time with the Lord, it's going to have an effect. It's going to have its effect even if you don't notice it yourself. I also want to say this. I also want to say this. Although I want to read this passage this morning to think about what does it say to us, you know, about our relationship with the Lord. I even, even this morning I wanted even more to ask of this passage, what is it telling us about God himself? Right? And, uh, you know, the Bible is God's word. You can never go wrong when you ask, when you're reading the Bible, if you ask, what is this saying about the Lord? And sometimes we need to do that more than we need to say, what is it saying about us? We need to say, what's it really saying about the Lord? And what's the Lord doing here? Why is he sending Moses down the mountain with a shining face? Well, you remember, this is the second time down the mountain, and I think this is, uh, he's revisiting the scene. God is, in a sense, honoring Moses. He's restoring his leadership, and he's highlighting particularly the second delivery of the Ten Commandments, right? He's bringing that again, and he's wanting the people to sit up and take notice. Look, this is important. They're getting closer. These flames are getting closer. In, in this passage, Exodus 32 through 34, the covenant has been broken, but in restoration and through Moses' intercession, the presence of God has returned. The covenant is restored, and now even Moses' leadership is being renewed or restored. God is restoring everything to Israel even better than it was before. This is God's act of restoration. Why is he doing this to Moses? Why is he speaking to Israel through Moses, the man with the shining face? It's because he wants to restore them to be his covenant people, and that's what he's doing. He wants them to sit up and take notice and listen to what he has to say. This is God's gracious persistence with Israel, that he doesn't give up on them when they totally blow it. When they t absolutely, totally blow it, they totally mess up. He does not give up on them. He sends Moses again with the same message. You know, if you have blown it with the Lord, really blown it badly, 
all right? Sometimes we get the feeling like it can never be like it was before. It can never be like it was before. But this, in God's gracious, graciousness, is not the case. God is a God who restores. And here is God restoring Israel, even restoring Moses in his place of leadership there, and restoring their honor for God's word. He is persistent. You know, if you, if you start drifting away from the Lord or you're turning away from the Lord, what God will often do, just bring you right back to the very place where, you, where you've left the path. You have to go back to where the, you left the path. You, have to, you know, they, they left the path right when they were receiving the Ten Commandments, of, of which the first two were about not having, you know, about only worshipping Yahweh, only worshipping God and not making idols. And, and so very first two commandments they already broke and has to, God has to bring them back to that place and we give them that same word again the same words and that they must receive it this time and if you have drifted from the Lord one of the things that you'll f it's a curious thing is that uh, the, is that it's a bit like being on a train when you're when you're drifting away from the Lord and when you're like on a train, and if you ever go on a train and, you're, and a train takes a corner, of course it's very gradual, and it moves away, and you might be on a parallel track with another train, but the further you go, the further away the other track gets as, it, as you move away. In order to return to the right path, you have to, you have to track backwards, you have to go backwards, and that's a strange experience it's, it's a feeling like you're almost walking against the tide, against the wind, against the light, as you're tracking back to where you left the path. But you have to come back to where you, where you went astray and, and this time receive that word and those words of God. And that's God's wonderful persistence and restoration. And so he sent them his word again. With his, written with his own hand on tablets of clay. And they have to draw near and listen. And this is the next part of our passage, verses 30 to 32. Aaron and all the people of Israel, they saw Moses and, and it says, and behold. And by the way, when the scripture says, behold, what should you do? Behold, right? It's, it's a way of saying, look. I mean, it's almost like a dramatic instruction. It's saying, look at this. Stop a minute. Focus. Look. Just look. And it says, look. The skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near. Not surprising. There's someone beaming rays out of his face. He's come, and remember that this was an awesome holy occasion. They were not allowed to go up the mountain. They could only stay at the foot of the mountain uh, and, and there was a death penalty for going up the mountain after Moses. And so this was a holy moment. Uh, they had already been judged by a plague for their idolatry. And they were, Moses coming down the mountain again, and then there's you know, light coming out, and you'd think, okay, it's pretty scary. It is pretty scary. But Moses calls to them and and first of all, Aaron and all the leaders, they come to Moses. And 
what does he do? He doesn't berate them. He just talks to them. And afterwards, kind of sheepishly, a bit slowly, everybody else kind of comes, okay, we're good. it's not going to kill us, this light. And they come to Moses, and what do they do? They come and listen. He, command, he, he commands them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. This is a situation where the leaders take the lead, then the people follow, and they're no longer afraid. They discover they can come and talk to Moses again, and he's going to deliver the word of the Lord to them. If we're a, if we're a people like Israel who have disobeyed, who have broken the commandment, who have drifted away, then what do we need to do? We need to draw near to God and listen. To draw near to God and listen. To God and to his messenger. You see, when that relationship with God is being restored, drawing near and listening is the correct response. It's the correct posture. And that's because God is a God who speaks and, and in fact, has spoken. Moses brings down the Ten Commandments and he brings orally, verbally, lots of other things that God had said to him on the mountain. He instructs. And God is a God who is not silent, but a God who speaks. And this Bible is the testimony to that. This, in fact, is the word and the words of God and he's a God who's still speaking when you have gone astray <laughs> just draw near to the Lord and listen listen to his word read the scriptures quiet your heart before the Lord and listen stop talking for a minute and start listening. This is the story of a God who speaks even to those that have rebelled against him and he's now showing mercy and he's going to speak to them again and he does. Now we go to the next short passage here of this, it's, it's verses 33 to 35, veiled glory. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. The Hebrew word here is it's hard. It's only used once. This is the only place in the Old Testament where this Hebrew word is used. It's a bit hard to translate, but it seems to mean a cover or, 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 or a veil of some kind. And when he went back to the Lord to speak with him, he, you know, in the tent of meeting that Moses used to speak with God in he would take the veil off and when he came out and he would tell Israel what he was saying, what God had said, all of that with unveiled face. But once he'd finished the new instructions, he put the veil back on as he went about life uh, until he went back in to see the Lord. And, and that's what happened. The people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is a rather curious passage. I mean, it's already a pretty curious passage, a guy with light beams coming from his face, coming down the mountain. Now we get 
that same guy putting, uh, covering his face uh, except for at certain times. Why the veil? Why the veil? That's a great question. I wish the Bible actually said. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't say in this passage uh, exactly why, but I'm, you know, we can only speculate, and, and let's, let's, so let's do that. <laughs> we will speculate a little, and, and actually Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians gives us a clue a bit later on in the Bible. So it's not because of their fear. It's not because they're going to stay afraid. They've already lost their fear as they've drawn near to the shining face of Moses and heard the word of the Lord. So it's not because of their fear. I think it's simply to stop them staring all the time. It's just to stop them staring uh, when he's just going about life. You know, he has to live, right? He has to eat. He has to do all sorts of things. And uh, it's just to stop them staring. But also what it does is it emphasizes those moments when he comes with the word of the Lord after having been in the presence of God. And he comes at that point with unveiled face to speak to them. That puts a great emphasis on that moment as a holy moment as they mean to listen, listen to the word of the Lord. You, may, you know, you're worth noticing when you have spent time with the Lord and are speaking for God, right? That's when, that's the most important time in your life, when you're speaking for God. It doesn't, and, then, and by this, by saying it, I am not saying that the rest of your life is unimportant. It is important. Every part of our life is important. Everything you do is, is meaningful. God made us human beings with flesh and blood and we live in lives in bodies in this world everything we do has a significance in the kingdom of God but those moments when God uses God speaks through us those are the ones where he wants to bring attention you're worth noticing so what is this telling us about the Lord well he's a he's a glorious Lord and <laughs> What he's doing here is emphasizing the significance of his instructions to Israel, right? God is glorious and his word must be heard. His word must be heard. We must listen to it. And so that's the shining face of Moses as he's speaking the words of the Lord reminds us of how significant those words are. And you know what? We've got a whole lot of Moses' words in the Bible already. We've got like five, five books of the Bible, which basically talk about, you know, which are called the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And he's responsible for most of the content of these. And uh, we, we have his words. And they still, the, the script, still the scriptures. But this, this shining face of Moses is fascinating because it's, it's a kind of second-hand glory that the Israel experiences, right? It's, Moses has been up the mountain, and he's seen a, a sort of facet of God's glory. We saw that in chapter 34 earlier, but it was only God's back. He himself didn't even get to say, see the full shining face of God, but what he saw was fabulous. And then he comes down the mountain, and so the people are kind of experiencing God's glory, even the, even the limited aspect that Moses saw. They're seeing it even 
not directly, they're not even seeing God's back, they're just seeing Moses' face, and that's pretty startling. And then even that is being limited because they don't see it most of the time. He's, most of the time he's got a cover over it. It's kind of, so it's veiled, it's glory, but it's veiled glory. It's secondhand glory. It's God, Moses, Israel. It's hidden, it's veiled much of the time. And so this passage finishes with restoration, with the glory of God through his servant Moses, the shining. And yet it also finishes in a rather ambiguous note because it's, it's not pr that, that, that light is not there all the time. It's veiled most of the time, but it does focus our attention on what God has already said through Moses. And that's really, really important. But it leaves the reader in a little bit of a you know, just a little ambiguous situation. That doesn't sound like the end of the story. And of course it isn't, even in Exodus. There's another few chapters, another five chapters to go, or six. Uh, you know, as, as uh, they build the tabernacle that God had said, and in chapter 40, the last chapter of Exodus, then the glory of the Lord fills that tabernacle. Not even Moses could go in at that point. And, uh, it was, and that's where God is presencing himself with Israel. So... But right now, it's kind of the um, slightly ambiguous, wonderful restoration, and the next few chapters give that full picture of the building of the tabernacle and then the glory of God coming to dwell in there. But of course, even in the tabernacle, the glory is dwelling in there, but even Moses can't go in. So it's still kind of hidden, still covered. And in the system that God gave Israel, at the Holy of Holies, at the heart of the tent of the that they built the tabernacle where the ark of the covenant the box the golden covered box that contained the ten commandments that was in there even the, the high priest Aaron could only go in there once a year it's still covered veiled glory even how wonderful it is so I'm going to ask then in the few minutes that remain how does the New Testament reflect on this passage so first of all, we can go to Matthew chapter 17. So we don't have the, the, the oh, we do. So we have uh, Matthew 17, uh, and uh, we're going to ask, how does the New Testament reflect on this passage? This is the story, Matthew 17, 1 to 8, is the story of the transfiguration, where Jesus is lit up on the mountain, and uh, it has some resonances back to our passage in Exodus 34. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Wow. Okay, that, you see some parallels to the story of Moses. Jesus is up a mountain, right? Moses went up on a mountain. He met with God. Jesus is up on a mountain, and Jesus is transfigured. His, his face is shining like the sun. And his it's not and for Jesus, not just his face, now it's his clothes as well. Everything is absolutely lit up on the mountain. And then we get in verse 3, uh, Behold, and look! And that's what the reader is saying. That's what Matthew's telling the reader. 
Look at this, like imagine it, picture it. There appeared before them, who appeared to them, who? Moses and Elijah. So if you, in case you didn't get it, in case you didn't get that this was kind of Moses-like event, Sinai-like event, Moses rocks up, right, with Elijah. And it appeared to them, Moses and Elijah, talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And how did they recognize Moses and Elijah? I have no idea. It's a rather curious event. But there's Moses and Elijah, and these are two kind of incredible figures in Israel's history. Moses, who, and you, rem you might have remembered we talked a, a few months ago about Numbers chapter 12, and how Moses was a prophet that had a particular face-to-face -face relationship with God, and he had promised in Deuteronomy 18 that there would be a prophet like him that uh, would, would come, and he was going to speak the true word of God, and you should listen to him. That's what Moses had said in Deuteronomy 18. And so here, Moses and Elijah appear, and Peter speaks that, that they don't, they kind of ignore him. While he was still speaking when, behold, again, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You've got Moses, the great man of God, the one who wrote a chunk of the Bible, the one who brought us the Ten Commandments, the man with the shining face. He turns up. You've got Elijah, the great prophet, the one that the Malachi prophet's side would appear before the Lord comes. His Moses and Elijah. And when God speaks from the shining cloud, his focus is on who? Jesus. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to who? Him. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, have, don't be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Matthew's presenting Jesus in a way that he's something like Moses, right? But he's much greater. So in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is a new David, but he's much greater than David. But he's also a new Moses, but much greater than Moses. There's Moses, there's Elijah, listen to Jesus. He's my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus is now the one whose face is shining. Jesus is the one who's lit up on the mountain, even his clothes. And now he gets the additional honor of God speaking directly from that cloud, that shining cloud. Listen to him. He is my son. Moses is great. He's a prophet. He's a leader. Elijah is great. He's a prophet. Jesus, is he a prophet? Yes, but he's more than a prophet. He is the son of God. And so Moses, in a sense, in Exodus, Matthew is showing us that Moses kind of prefigures or is a type of Christ. He's, he's a kind of lesser image of Christ that's presented to us in the Old Testament. 
but his picture of is the picture is incomplete. That's why I'm saying that chapter 34 of Exodus is a bit of ambiguous. It ends in a strange way with veiled glory. Now we see the unveiled glory of God shining through his very son, Jesus Christ, on the mountain. But the next verse, I don't think we have this on the, on the screen, but the very next verse is, is rather interesting in, in Matthew 17, verse 9. Jesus said to the disciples, let me just, let me just find it here. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell the vision to no one. Okay, that sounds a bit veiled again again. He says, but until the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has risen from the dead. And this is all going to make sense. What they saw on the mountain is going to make sense. Jesus wanted his messianic claims, his identity as Son of God, his, his, his glory is going to be understood in the light of his death and his resurrection. And it's going to all make sense that the glorious Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is going to die and he's going to be risen from the dead. And at that point, we're going to see that glory anew. Now that's one place in the New Testament where this, where this passage in Exodus is is reflected on, and there's another one, which is in Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapters 3 and 4. And I'm, I'm going to only just very briefly touch on this. But Paul reflects on this in his second letter to the Corinthians. He says in verse 7, If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze or could not stare at Israel's face because of its glory, with the glory which was actually coming to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit be, have even more glory? So it talks about how Paul is not putting down the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. He's saying it was glorious. But how much more glorious is the ministry of the Spirit? And... Uh, and so by comparison, he says, that which had glory in the days of Moses is by comparison has no glory at all compared to the, 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 the permanent glory of the new covenant, the glory that's in Christ, the glory that comes in the gift of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. And so he says in verse 12 and 13, we have this hope, but we're not... We were so bold, not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. To this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is taken away. So Paul is saying that he can see that veil in chapter 34 and the glory, uh, the shining of Moses' face, and he, he kind of interprets it as a symbol of the, the sort of uh, the, the hardening of Israel's heart the fact that they don't—they didn't quite get the full picture. Uh, but he said, when you, when one turns to the Lord, verse sixteen or verse fifteen, just yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He says, the Lord is the Spirit. Now he means the Lord in that passage in Exodus thirty-four. When he's saying that was the presence of God through the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
So the Lord was there. The Spirit was there. Moses could look with unveiled, could enter God's presence with unveiled face, but the people saw that only fleetingly as he comes out from the tent. But he says, we, that is believers in Christ, all of us with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The glory was asso- that was associated with the law and the, the giving of the law has changed now as Christ has come and the Spirit is given. It's much more glorious. The veiling was so that they could not stare at that glory that was after all only temporary and only on Moses. And Israel did not respond as they should have to what Moses brought. And we can see that as we read through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And he's saying that Israel's reading of their own scripture, their law, is incomplete and veiled until they come to Christ. So turning to the Lord removes the veil from the meaning of scripture. And that's, that's so true. The scriptures, you know, you can read. nice thing about the Bible, anybody can read it. There's nothing secret in it. It's just that you don't really get it until you have the help of the Spirit, until you yourself turn to the Lord. Paul is saying to them, and it sounds so powerful what Israel experienced through Moses, but Paul is saying to them that what Israel experienced through, through Moses was was what was glory but much greater glory that we all experience beholding the lord now as we know him through the holy spirit through his son jesus christ this is even more wonderfully glorious and it's permanent so let's just come to conclusion by looking at a couple of verses in second corinthians chapter 4 talks about Paul talks about unbelievers in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4 in whose case he says the God of this world that would be Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God but so that's but Jesus Christ can shine in the darkness. Let's look at verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, or light shall shine out of darkness. And then, by the way, that's the kind of allusion back to Genesis 1. Let there, you know, God said, let there be light. For the God who created light, the God who spoke, said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The God who created light itself has shone in our hearts his glory through the face of Jesus Christ. Paul, I think, is reflecting on his own conversion when he met Jesus, on the, the risen Lord, on the Damascus Road, and he met the Lord. You may not have seen a vision of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, but if you've met the Lord, you've seen the, the glory of God in the face of his Son, Jesus Christ. All of that passage then in the old in, in Exodus 34, as it finishes with that picture of glory and shining, but it's veiled, it's all pointing us then forward to Jesus Christ, through whom 
The word of God is unlocked to us, is unveiled to us through whom we receive and see and understand the glory of God and through whom and by the work of the Holy Spirit we are being transformed ourselves from glory to glory. And this is the word of Lord, I believe, to us today. Psalm 34 verse 5 says this, those who look to him, that is to the Lord, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Well, I'm going to invite you to stand now. We're going to, as we've started this session, we're going to finish it again just by standing and coming to the Lord. You can lift your hands to the Lord if you want. And this time, I'm just going to ask you just to listen to the Lord. Don't talk right now. Just listen to him. Perhaps to what his, the scripture said as, as we talked this morning or as the Lord speaks to your heart and mind. Jesus, 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 our glorious Lord, the Son of God in whom the Father is well pleased. Jesus, 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 transforming us into your image from glory to glory as we behold you, as we look on you. We look to you, we listen to you, we come to hear your word, to gaze upon your face, to know you and to follow you and Lord to proclaim the glory of your resurrection and your coming Lord to see the glory of God in your face and to hear your word we worship you today our Lord Jesus Christ Son of God and his grace and the availability of uh, forgiveness and his love for us. So as we sing these songs, I encourage you to sing to one another. Sing it to yourself, 
sing it to those you've been praying for who you know need to come to the altar before God. Cause are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born jesus is calling
Don't lose heart, oh my soul, oh my soul, and don't give up. There is hope, there is always hope. Here we go, there's peace. And there is peace in the storm, in the storm. No, don't forget, He is Lord, He is Lord of all. There is a king, lift up. There is a king of glory. There is a God who saves. One who is strong and mighty. Freedom is in his name. So open the gates of heaven. Lift up a shout of praise. There is a lion roaring. Jesus, the king of glory. So lift your There is a king, there is a king of glory, there is a God who saves, one who is strong and mighty, freedom is in his name, so open the gates of heaven, lift up a shout of praise, there is a lion roaring, Jesus the king of glory. Worship you, God of all glory. The only, only one worthy of our praise. Oh, we wait for the day when all will bow before you. Sing nations. And nations. 